Hey Journey, Ben here again. It's a windy day on campus, but that's okay. I'm looking good, you're looking good, and we're here for round two of the interviews with some students at Montana State. We want to see what they have to say about why church. Let's go. Give me your full name. What's your social security number? That's a joke. Uh, good to meet you, I'm Ben. Nice you. We have two questions for you. Uh, what do you think the church is known for? Families to go and kind of form bonds with other people that believe in the same things that they believe in, I guess. If you were invited uh, to go to church, would you go? Why or why not? Yes, I would go. I go to church with my family. I go to church very infrequently, uh, and it's often when I'm invited. I was invited uh, by a friend to go to the Easter service last spring, and it was great. It was a lot of fun, and he's invited me to go back a couple times. Uh, what's your favorite band? Favorite band? I'd say ACDC. Okay, but why are you wearing a Pink Floyd shirt then? I go with my mom, but I'm not the... I'm still searching for my own religion, so... I guess I would just encourage people to, to try it out and yeah, maybe you had a negative experience at one place, but that's not um, indicative of every Christian, every type of church. Like even sometimes uh, somebody that comes on campus and is preaching and yelling at all the kids, it's like that's not going to make them want to come to church. So This just in, yelling at people, not a good way to get them to come to church. Well, I grew up and I wasn't really religious and I'm not Christian either, so I really don't know a ton about it. but. I guess there's a lot of stereotypes that like sometimes it can be really strict. And I went just to experience what it's like because I grew up Jewish and that's all I've like experienced. So going and seeing what other religions are like and what church is actually like intrigued me. So I went for that. Uh, I used to be an avid uh, church goer myself, uh, but I no longer believe in that stuff. But if someone to, were to invite me to a church function, uh, I might accept. And I, I, even as an atheist, I still believe that the church has a good place in society. And I think that they have a role that, that fills a lot of needs for people. What are the most important things for you to know before you go to a church? Whether or not uh, they feel happy when they're there. I need to know that they are based in scripture and they are focused on pouring into people and not a place or things. Why church? Why church? Alan Roxburgh, in uh, a recent book that he wrote, shared some, st some statistics. I can never get that word right. Some statistics about the American church that really grabbed my attention. Here's what he said. If you were born between 1925 and 1945, we have some of those people in here, there is a 60% chance that you were in church. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, the baby boom generation, there's a 40% chance that you're in church. If you were born between 1965 and 1983, my peeps, right there, 20% chance that you're in church. If you were born after 1984, there's a 10% chance that you're in church today. We don't see a great trend line. When we ask the question, why church? People that are outside of these walls right now, when they're looking on the inside, if they're asking the question, why church? Their answer is, no thanks. Not interested. How are we gonna respond? 
Those of us that are inside the room today, how are we gonna respond to what is happening in our culture? Are we just gonna quit? Are we gonna retreat? Are we gonna try to just hunker down and protect what's left of the church in America? What are we gonna do? As I read the scriptures, friends, what I know to the bottom of my toes is that God has not given up on his church. This movement that he launched 2,000 years ago at Pentecost is still alive and well today and he wants to use his church to change the world. But I do believe we've got to step back and we've got to ask the question, why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing the things that even matter to God? Are we doing what matters? Does the why of God's heart match the why of our church? And if it doesn't, we've got to do something different. What is the why of God? That's why we've been engaging in this series over the last several weeks. And I've just got to say this, friends. Jesus is as relevant today as he has ever been. People's need to have Jesus in their life is just as great, if not greater today than at any time throughout human history. Journey, we're not folding up shop. This is the greatest opportunity. If Jesus were right here, he would say, go out there. The fields are white for harvest. But you've got to ask, why? Are we bringing Jesus to the life of people in the way that Jesus would want us to? Are we doing out? Are we reaching out? I've been doing this long enough to know that as soon as I start to talk about reaching out to people, sharing our faith, evangelism, there's something that happens in people's hearts where they just start to like cringe. And they're just thinking, oh no, don't ask me to do that. Because they've seen really bad examples of reaching out. Coercion, dominating, arguing, even just as I watched that video, yelling. Not a good way to introduce people to Jesus. But we've seen bad examples like that, so have I. And so when we get that little cringy feeling in us, there's some of us that just immediately just say, I'm disqualified. You can ask me to do a lot of things around this church, but don't ask me to do that. I mean, I care about people. I want people to find God. But don't ask me to say anything. Don't ask me to do anything. I don't know what to say. It just feels too risky. I'm afraid that I might offend somebody. I might just make it worse for them. I just want to leave well enough alone. I just want to, I'll think what I think and believe what I believe. And they can think what they think and believe what they believe. And let's just let God sort it out in his own time. That will make me feel more comfortable. And it would probably make them feel more comfortable. Other religions don't feel so compelled to tell people about what they believe. And and I look around and there's a lot of Christians that don't really think that much about telling other people about what they believe. Why don't we just leave well enough alone? Here's the promise that I'm gonna make you today. I'm not gonna do anything to try to shame or guilt or twist your arm to get you to do something. But I just wanna ask you, if your defenses have gone up, if there's something in you that's just like, I don't wanna hear about this right now, could you just do this, please, with me today? Could you just change your posture from this? And would you just lower your hands 
Let your defenses come down and maybe even turn your hands this way. And just create a little bit of openness in your life and in your heart and just say, God, maybe. Maybe, just maybe, God, you want to use me to make you known in this world. Would you just take that posture with me today? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look not at a bad example, but a great example of what out looks like. We are gonna look at the life of Jesus. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one, the story of the healing of the paralytic. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, not even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. Jesus knew how to do out. But there's some things that he know that we knew that we need to know if we're gonna do out the way that he did. He knew that the world needed forgiveness. I want us to think a little bit about the life of this paralyzed man. His whole entire life was combined, was compressed onto a three by six foot mat. That was his entire life. Never outside of that. His world was small. I mean, we love that we can go and be free and do all the things that we love to do in Montana. His world was just one little mat. Think about how dependent he was. He couldn't do anything unless someone fed him. He couldn't go anywhere unless someone carried him. Someone needed to clothe him. Someone needed to change him when he soiled himself and clean him up. Someone had to continually move him so that he wouldn't get bed sores. He doesn't know any of the independence that we love and prize. There was no way for him to contribute to society. His whole life was being set aside, a beggar along the side of the road, hoping every day that at least someone would come by and drop a few coins onto his mat. 
so that he could live for another day. If there was ever a poster child for hopelessness, it was the paralyzed man. And there was shame. There was shame involved in this because the cultural world that he lived in, they believed, they believed that bad things don't happen to good people. This probably happened to him because he did something wrong or someone in his family did something wrong. He deserved this. So there was a sense of shame. This paralysis that marked his life, it was his whole identity. I mean, even when we read this story, friends, we don't know his name. He's not Bill or Tom or Bob. He's just the paralyzed man. This marked his whole life. And now in this very vulnerable and uncomfortable way, he is lowered in front of this massive group of people. Imagine maybe just what this would be like for you. This is a, a crowded room. Imagine that you came in late today. I mean, you're going to have to imagine because nobody's ever late at Journey for church, right? No, sometimes. Sometimes we're late. But if you came in late right now, and the usher said, Hey, there's no seat for you here, but I've got a spot right up on front of the stage. You can sit right in front of Bob while he preaches. Wouldn't everyone just say, ah, no thanks. I'll just stand in the back. But he, in all of his vulnerability, is laid at the feet of Jesus, desperate, dependent. Will Jesus show up for me? Now I'm gonna ask you a question and you're probably gonna say, oh, that's the stupidest question that you could even ask. But here's the question. What is the greatest need of this man? What was the greatest need of the paralyzed man? You're thinking, Bob, you just said it. He's paralyzed. His condition defines him. It's the greatest need that he has, right? So what does Jesus do? When Jesus wants to move toward him and step into his need, what does Jesus say? He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. I kind of imagine that those words as Jesus uttered those in this large crowd just hit with a thud. A thud of unmet expectations. These four friends, I'm imagining them looking down through the hole that they had made in the roof, saying, what happened? What did Jesus do? Looking at each other, he forgave his sins. Like, doesn't Jesus see what's happening here? Is it a colossal oversight on his part? Doesn't he know that this paralyzed man wants to be healed? That's his greatest need. There's something that Jesus wants everyone in that room to know. And he wants every one of us that will ever read this story to know that the greatest need that any one of us has in this world is to have our sins forgiven. Because it's our sin that keeps us out of a relationship with the God who created us. Keeps us from being able to have his life flowing into our life and through our life to the world around us. It's the greatest need that any of us have. If Jesus that day were to heal this man's body, which is temporary, it's not going to last forever. If he was to do that but not heal his soul, 
which is gonna last for eternity? It would have been the most cruel thing that Jesus could have done. He needed to be changed. He needed a new heart. He needed to be transformed from the inside, inside out. He needed a new identity, not the mat anymore, an identity as the child of God. And that's what Jesus gave him. You're with me now. You belong to me. You're part of my family, my child. Jesus gave him a new identity, gave him sonship. And I believe if we could somehow have a conversation with this paralytic where he sits today with Jesus and ask him, what was the biggest thing that happened to you that day? He would say, the biggest thing that happened to me is my sins were forgiven. God gave me a new heart. You might say, well, the Capernaum Chronicle, it was all talking about the healing. Yeah, that was great. But I still had challenges after that. My body still decayed and died. But Jesus met my soul. It was the greatest need that he experienced that day. Friends, if we're gonna do out, if we're gonna reach out to the world around us the way that Jesus did, that has to be part of our core belief is the greatest need that any person has. Me, you, anyone outside of these walls is to have their sins forgiven and only Jesus can do that. That's why Jesus is as relevant today to everybody as he's ever, ever been. Jesus is relevant. People need forgiveness. You know what else people need? People need friends. And not just any kind of friends. They need the right kind of friends. In my opinion, there are some heroes in this story. And I don't know their names either. They're just called four friends that carried a mat for their buddy that was paralyzed. They're heroes of mine in the scripture and I wanna be like them while I'm here on earth. I wanna be the kind of person that will do whatever it takes to get somebody to the feet of Jesus. I mean, think back to that story. They've probably been hearing the stories about all the things that Jesus is doing all around, how he's bringing healing to people, how he's casting out demons, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. All these things are happening. They're thinking, we gotta get there. We've gotta see this guy, see if this is for real. But they're not just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their friend. What about him? What about the needs that he has? Maybe this could be his day. We've got to do everything we can to get him there. Now, I imagine these four friends, I don't know what their life was like, but I'm sure their life was busy just like your lives are busy. Their kids had soccer games. They had work deadlines. I bet one of those four guys hadn't gotten their elk yet. <laughs> they had things that they needed to do, but they weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about somebody else. And they were willing to make it much harder to get there because they wanted to do something for their friend. They wanted to get a friend to the feet of Jesus. But as they carry him, the struggle that it was to get him there, as they get closer and closer to the house, they come upon a scene that they wouldn't have expected. The house is full. Not just the house is full, but it's pouring outside of the house. There is no way to be able to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. I'm imagining they sat their friend down began to think, what are we gonna do? And one of the four, 
I think he was an engineer. That's how the story goes in my head. Begins to look up at the roof. And he tells his friends, I got an idea. I got a plan. And he hatches the plan. And they say, uh, do you got another plan? I don't think the homeowner's gonna be very excited about this. But it was their only shot. So they take their friend and they take this staircase around the house, which would be common in that day, an opportunity to be up on a patio type situation up on the roof. And they get up there and they start digging a hole in somebody's roof. Nothing is gonna stop them. This isn't evangelism, friends. This is evangelism. They're ripping someone's house apart. Who does that? People that in their hearts say, it matters too much that my friend meet Jesus. No obstacle is too great. We're gonna push through whatever we can do to get someone to Jesus. Friends, I just need to tell you, if you're gonna be someone that models out the way that Jesus did, you are gonna run into obstacles in this life. You're gonna run into walls that you have to break through. There's a hundred reasons for us not to get involved in taking the best news ever announced to the world around us. We've got to overcome obstacles. None of us have enough time. None of us feel like we know what to say. Like, I don't even know what I would do if I talked to somebody. All of us are afraid of being rejected. All of us are afraid that we might offend somebody. It makes every one of us uncomfortable. All of us at some level are insecure about moving toward people. As I was reflecting on this sermon, just thinking about obstacles in my own life, you know what I think my greatest obstacle is? It's me. My greatest obstacle is me. And my unwillingness sometimes to just wanna get involved in the lives of other people because of my own fear. But what I love about this story is that there were friends that just said, no obstacle is too great. We will do whatever it takes. We'll put our needs aside to help someone that needs to get to the feet of Jesus. And friends, there are people in your sphere of influence that need you to be a friend like that for them. It's willing to do whatever it takes to bring them to the feet of Jesus. The third thing that I think every one of us needs to have, if we're gonna do out the way that Jesus did, is we've got to have a focus. And here's the focus that we all need to have. Our focus needs to be on people. A focus on loving people. And I wanna be really practical if I can. Last week, Brian talked about it during the hosting time. We did a $5 challenge, an opportunity for people to trust God for an opportunity to reach out into the life of someone. But I know, as you even tried to imagine, what would I do if I got into a conversation with someone? Maybe in your heart, there's fear that comes up in your mind. I wanna share with you just a couple of practical things that I think you need to understand to lower those fears in your life. The first thing that you need to do, friends, is that you need to learn to lean on God. Lean on God. What we're talking about, bringing people to the feet of Jesus, Jesus, God himself, is the only one that can change a human heart. You can't do that. There's nothing that you can do to do that. This is what Jesus even said himself. 
in John 6, 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. You can't change a heart, but Jesus can. But what you can do is bring people to the feet of Jesus. Bring people to the feet of the message of Jesus, who he is and what it is that he's done for them. You need to learn to lean on God. So it's out of your court. The results belong to him, not to you. Learn to lean on him. But a second thing you need to learn to do is you need to learn to listen. So many times when we think about talking to someone about faith, we think that it starts with talking, telling. They need all the information. Can I tell you that I believe most times the first step in communicating our faith is listening. Because if the Father is at work in the lives of people, we've got to learn to see where God is working. And for us to learn to discern where God is working, I believe one of the best tools that you have in your tool belt is a question. Can you just ask a person a question and learn to listen? I think it's the greatest tool that you have. It was really fun, there was a person close to me that took the $5 challenge. And as she shared with me what she was gonna do, there was a neighbor in her life and it was kind of an intimidating situation and I was just like, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's really, really bold. And she said, I just wanna go, I wanna talk with her and I wanna listen. I wanna understand where she's coming from. And that's exactly what she did. She spent the whole time just hearing where this woman was at on her spiritual journey. You know what the result of that time was? This woman just said, can we do this again? I would love to hear about you. I want to know about the things that you think and that you believe. There's going to be another meeting. When we take time to listen, it creates opportunities to let people know about who Jesus is. Learn to listen first. You need to know where they're at if you're going to speak into them. And this makes sense to us, doesn't it? Imagine this. Imagine that your cell phone rings right now and somebody on the other end of the phone says to you, I'm lost, I can't find Journey Church. What's the first question that you're gonna ask them? Where are you? You can't start giving people directions if you have no idea where they're at. Friends, the same thing is true when people are on a spiritual journey. You've got to find out where are they at? What do they think? What do they believe? What's been their experience? So you can speak into their longings using their language. Learn, friends, to listen. It is always our first step. And I just want to highlight this on your notes page. I just listed a handful of questions that I think are some of the kinds of questions that we can use to listen and learn to discern where people are at on their spiritual journey. Jesus modeled out like nobody else. There were two things in the life of Jesus that he was able to navigate in such a beautiful way. A tension between two things, and here's how I'm gonna describe it. I always make fun of the fact that I'm an engineer, but I always kind of see things in matrices. There were two things that described the life of Jesus. One is distinction, And one is connection. Jesus was able 
to navigate the tension between these two things. And here's what I mean when I say distinction. His life was distinct. He was so different from everyone else. His life was holy, it was pure, it was righteous. He was completely different from everyone else. But he also modeled connection. That there wasn't anyone that seemed too far from God, whose life was too broken, too marginalized, that Jesus wasn't willing to move toward them. And sometimes we have a difficult time navigating this tension between distinction and connection. And here's what happens. When we live a life that is just about distinction, that we wanna be so different, nothing wrong with that, but we lack connection, in the Bible, there's a picture of this. That's what the Bible calls a Pharisee. They were very, very distinct. They live a life that was very, very other than the culture around them. But there was no connection to the broken world around them. In fact, there was kind of an us and them. There was always this fear that if we get too close to those things that don't belong to God, those unclean things, that uncleanliness will make our cleanliness unclean. They stayed away. There was too much distinction. But also we can fall on the other side of the horse, can't we? Where our whole life is just about connection. We're connected with people. Our lives are around people that don't know Jesus. But our lives aren't any different. We don't live out the values of God's kingdom. We don't love people the way that Jesus loved. Here's the word that I would put there just a phony, maybe a hypocrite. You've heard that before, haven't you? That there are people that they just don't live their lives differently. But here's where Jesus landed. That's him. A life of distinction and a life of connection and it changed the world. You know how you'll know? You know how you'll know if you're living your life in this quadrant? your life will become questionable. You're gonna start living a questionable life. People that live down in this quadrant, they're gonna be looking at your life and they're gonna be like, I don't know about them. I look at who they hang out with, look at where they hang out, and I just think, I don't know that they're who they should be as a follower of Jesus. People are gonna start to ask questions. You know who else is gonna ask questions? people that are living far from God, they're gonna look at your life and they're gonna be asking questions as well. There's something different about them. There's something different about the way that they love me. There's something different about the way they're pulling me into their life without judgment. That's how Jesus lived his life. And if you wanna live your life like Jesus, your life will become questionable. And I think what Jesus would tell us based on his experiences of walking on this world, is that you can live a godly, fun, intriguing, even socially adventurous, joyous, loving presence in this world and follow him closely with your heart. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live, full of distinction, but full of connection. I know that some of you that were here last week are looking at the fact that there's a $100 bill up here. <laughs> and you're just saying, yes. The $100 challenge. 
And I could tell as soon as they put that out there, there were like people in the back that were like meerkats. They were like, are there $100 bills up on that stage? Because the spirit didn't move last week, but I think the spirit's going to move this week. If there's $100 bills up there. What makes this valuable? It's just a piece of paper. But this piece of paper, the government stamps an image on it of Benjamin Franklin. And suddenly this thing that was just a piece of paper becomes incredibly valuable. Changes it. The Bible tells us that every person that is drawing breath on this planet is marked, is stamped, is impressed with the image of God. We are all made in his image. You know what that means? Instantly, everyone is valuable. Everyone is valuable to God. But the Bible also tells us that even though we've been imprinted with the image of God, there is sin and there is brokenness in our lives. Our life doesn't look as it was intended to look. Our lives oftentimes look a little bit more like this. This isn't valuable anymore, is it? Just throw it away. It doesn't look right. It's broken. It's crumpled. If I dropped this on the floor, someone would take it. Why? It is still valuable. Even though it is crumpled, even though it doesn't look like it was intended to look, it is valuable. Friends, our lives are like this. My life is like this. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to uncrumple our life because we're valuable. Friends, the kind of church that we need to be, if we're gonna be the why church that Jesus is talking about, we've got to walk out of these doors and see every person as crumpled and broken as their life is, we've got to see them as valuable to God. Every one of them. Every one of them. They're valuable to him. What if? Journey, I've just been thinking about what if. What if we actually grabbed a hold of the why that Jesus is talking about here? What if, as we walked out of these doors, we began to see people the way that Jesus saw people as valuable, even if they're crumpled? What would that be like? What if every week was the $5 challenge? What if every week we walk through life looking for opportunities, believing that God is gonna bring somebody into my life or put somebody on my heart that I can move toward them? What if every week was the $5 challenge? We've got an opportunity journey. Just thinking about this, and I wanna, I wanna show you this picture. It's a map. This is a simple map took from our database of people that have been around our church recently. That's where we live. Of the people that are around Journey, that call this their home, those are our addresses. Look at how many people there are out there. What if, what if every one of us walked throughout our week looking in the places where we have influence, in the neighborhood where we live, in the job where we work, in the school that we go to, in the places where we recreate. What if every week we just looked around us and we had our antennas up and we said, Jesus, I'm available. 
every week is the $5 challenge. Journey, we could make a difference in this valley. The valley would be different. People would come to faith in Jesus. People would come to know who he is and what it is that he's done for them. That's why, church, we're not just here for us. Journey, you've got to hear that. We are not just here for us. What will make Journey a great church? You've got to hear this from me. It is not the seating capacity of this church. It is the sending capacity of this church. You can do lots of things to draw a crowd, but what Jesus is saying, what is that crowd going to do when they leave? Are they going to leave here as sent people that have their antennas up, that are asking the question, what can I do to bring the greatest news ever announced to the crumpled lives around me because they're valuable to God? Here's another picture that I want to have in our mind as we think about our church. That's why church. It's not just what we do here. There's important things that happen here. We want to hear and respond to the voice of God when we're here. We want to be together, but the scriptures make it really clear. We need to be a sent people. It's not our seating capacity journey. It's our sending capacity. Are we willing to be sent to change the world around us? I want to ask you to set your things aside. I want to ask you to go to prayer. And I just want you to ask, what is the $5 challenge going to look like for you this week? And next week, is there anybody that God is putting on your heart to reach out to? Jesus, we come before you and we declare that we need you. We need you in every way. We need you to take care of our sin. Thank you that you did that on the cross for us that you stood in our place, that you took the penalty that we deserved. Thank you that you brought us forgiveness. Jesus, I just ask that as we ask the question, why church, what are we about? That you would stir our hearts to be the kinds of friends that we looked at in this text today. Friends that are willing to overcome any kind of barriers that would keep people from being to your feet coming to your feet. Jesus, we want to be used by you. Send us, Jesus. Send us out. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.